0: Welcome you today to Believing. So glad you're joining us, whether it's at Church Online, you're listening to the podcast, watching this on YouTube after the fact. I am grateful that you are leaning in today. But before I jump into God's Word today, I want to take just a second and highlight a few things that are going on, a few things that are coming up in the next several weeks, because this is a season where there is so much happening in the life of our church if you're new to believing welcome what a great time to hear about some of the amazing things god is doing around us through us in us and so i'm gonna go very quickly but i gotta highlight four that's right not one not two not three but four things coming up now there's much more happening you can find all of it on our website at believing.church But I got to highlight these because on some of them, I need your help. And some of them, man, we want you to to lean in to be in the know about. Some of them, we just want you to be prepared for what's to come. So let's jump into it. If you're ready today, you're watching at church online, somebody in the chat say, I am ready. Number one, uh, starting October the 30th, we are going to begin an amazing addition to something that we have done for more than three years now. For more than three years, we have served meals to kids for free after school providing a consistent way in place for families to be able to get food for free for their kids. If you need that, if you ever need that, know someone who needs it, come on by. It's available in our facility every single Monday through Friday from 3 p.m. to 4.30. But starting October 30th, we are gonna be adding to that an incredible partnership with a tutoring company where we are gonna begin offering free tutoring every single day. Monday through Thursday, from 3.45 to 4.30 p.m. And that's right. It doesn't matter whether your kid is in kindergarten or 12th grade. We can help. And I would love for you, if you're interested, love for you if you know someone who might be interested. Go to our website, believing.church, and you can learn all about this tutoring opportunity. You can even let us know the grade of your child, maybe the day of the week or days of the week that might be best for you to come by and then receive homework help uh, so that we can prepare. Well, this is our version one of this. We are so excited of this because in the weeks and months to come, it's only going to grow. It's only going to expand. It's only going to be able to serve more kids even better. But starting Monday, October 30th, it all kicks off. Number two, the second thing I'm very excited about is what we are calling time Change Sunday. On Sunday, November the 5th, we will begin a brand new series of sermons here at Believing online and in person. Not only that, it is the day that we still, as a country, do our fall back. Y'all know they voted on Daylight Savings Time, but apparently it didn't go through. Imagine that. And uh, here we are, we've fallen back, spring forward, do all that kind of stuff. And on November 5th, the time falls back. Now, normally as a pastor, I don't mention to you when time falls back. Because then maybe some folks show up to church on time, (laughs) or maybe even early. (gasps) But um, this one I am mentioning. Because on Time Change Sunday, we are not only falling back, as the clocks will do, we're not only starting a new series, but we are slightly adjusting our service times for one major benefit on the back end. Starting Sunday, November the 5th, we will have our two services in person taking place at 915 and at 11 a.m. each Sunday, which means our online service, this right here will still be available, still serve people at 9.15. We will get started each and every Sunday. You say, why are we doing that? Why are we moving 15 minutes? Well, for the better part of the last year and a half, we have been in partnership with a, a congregation that does services in Spanish. And it's something near and dear to our heart because many people that live in proximity to our facility do not speak English well enough to come to service in in an English environment. But our partnership is really going to another level. And as it goes to another level of, of relationship and camaraderie and working together for the best good of our community, what we found is that the time that that service is being hosted is not ideal. So we actually are going to be moving that service time to 2 p.m. each Sunday, which is a great time for the service in Spanish to operate which means every Sunday in person at Believing, we will have services in English at 9, 15, and 11, and then we'll have service in Spanish at 2 p.m. We'll have service online at 9:15. sermon drop on YouTube at 6 p.m. All this going on for the glory of God and the good of people all around us and wherever you may be. So again, make note of that, or or, or come early or show up early next week. It ain't gonna hurt you. Just start doing it next week. Go ahead and get in the habit. It'll be great. That's Time Change Sunday. Number Three, I told you, there's a lot of these, but they're so incredible. God has been doing some amazing things through Yellow House. For those of you that are unfamiliar or maybe you're new with us, Yellow House is an organization that we've started, a nonprofit housing organization that provides quality, affordable housing for single moms. And we have gotten up, running, and rolling. And there's so much happening. You can learn about it, learn what's going on, learn how to get involved at yellowhousememphis.org. But if you go to yellowhousememphis.org, I would love for you to check out a new section that we are excited to announce, which is our collaborations. We have, as we've shared the vision of Yellow House, had many businesses, many organizations say, we would love to partner together. We would love to celebrate you. We would love to uh, create a way to raise support for the work that you're doing. We have two collaborations already on the calendar right now. One is with a jewelry store that has a store in Germantown, but presents online all over the country, uh, an organization called Kendra Scott. And we have a collaboration day where there will be an in-store opportunity and an online purchasing opportunity where a percentage of every sale will go to Yellow House in that period of time. You can find all that, again, on the collaborations page at yellowhousememphis.org. The other one that I'm very excited about will take place this February. And in February, y'all know our beloved Memphis Grizzlies are back in action here very, very soon. And as they come back into action, there will be a a, a night in February where at that Grizzlies game, Yellow House is going to be spotlighted, which is an incredible, opportunity to get the word out about the work that we're doing in yellow house but not only that in advance of it we have a special link it's already live it's already available at yellowhousememphis.org, where if you buy tickets through our link a percentage of each ticket that is bought is going to be given to yellow house as well Incredible collaborations. We'll speak more about both of them online through email in person and online in the weeks to come. But I want you to know, lean into that, share these. It's an incredible way to share what God is doing in and through believing. And number four, last one, and we're going to get to God's word, I promise, is we are a few weeks away from our vision offering. On November the 19th, we will be uh, coming together and giving our very best offering that will further the vision God has for us as a church to be here for good. You can learn all about this year's projects with our vision offering at believing.church where you will see everything that we're set out to do. But I want to encourage you as we get close. I know many of you over the last several weeks and even, I mean, goodness, we, we started sharing the vision of this almost two months ago. But you've been praying You've been asking God to provide. Some of you have even told me, God opened up this door. I didn't even know this was coming, but boom, God opened up this door, and it's enabling me to give. I thank God for that. And I'd invite every single one of us to pray and to come ready on November 19th to give in our very best way possible so that the vision, the mission of God's house right here in the city can be here for good. So those are four things. I could hit you with 40 more, but y'all came to hear God's word today, right? Because we're in a series of sermons that we are calling God Can. And so you can check out all the things I talked about, all the things that are coming on our website. But let's study God's word together because for many, many weeks now, we have been exploring together this, this reality, this statement of faith that we hold near and dear and true in our hearts, that God can, whenever you can't, God can. When you can't provide, God can provide. You can't save yourself, but God can save you. You can't heal yourself, but God can heal you. God can guide you. God can fight for you. God can. And today I have come with a a word that is very near and dear to my heart. But something so foundational into the fabric of who our God is. And what our God does. And so today for a few moments I would like to speak to you upon the subject. That God can restore. Our God is a God who restores. Whatever has been lost in your life. Whatever has been lost. Be it personally, relationally, emotionally. Whatever has been lost. God is a God who can restore. God is a God who can bring it back. And this is significant for many of us because many of us, if we'd be honest, right here and right now, we question our purpose. We wonder if we have real worth. We find ourselves in places and predicaments where our value is brought into question. We don't know if we actually Do matter. For a few moments today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to speak to those of you who feel like you've lost your value. For one reason or another, you feel like significance and worth and place, (laughs) value, has been taken from you or possibly even returned by you. Maybe because of something you did. You know, the truth is, is that our value oftentimes will, in its feeling, go up and go down based on what we're doing. We feel more worthwhile when we are contributing at a high level at work or in our home or or we have people in our lives who are really leaning on us and they're talking about what we did. Your value, as you perceive it, can go up or down based on what you Your value can go up and down based on how others perceive you. Maybe you feel like you lost your value because of something you did and it wasn't good. Maybe you feel like you lost your value because of nothing you did. It's just, this is just life or this was them. I didn't even do anything. It it literally was them. I don't know what changed. I don't know what happened, but something changed in them. And now here I am. And I feel like I've lost about whatever happened. And whatever you lost, I need you to know today, friend, God can restore. You know, there are things that have been known to change in value very quickly. Some people obsess about buying the new clothing item right when it drops. And if that's, if that's your thing, that's your thing. But some of us been around the block a little bit. Or we worked in retail for a minute. And we, we know that like, like yeah, you couldn't run into the store the, on the day that it drops. You can get it because it's new and it's fresh. And they're highlighting it online. They're highlighting this stuff, And you can grab it right away. Or you can wait like three weeks and find that junk on the sale rack at 35% off. You know what I'm saying? Because it like value, as it's perceived, changes fast. Some of you have experienced this with buying a new car. There are... New cars that you can buy. You can go to the lot and they talk to you about the features and show you that it's only got six miles on it. And you're like, oh, ain't nobody driven. This is about to be my car. About to put all the miles on. It's going to be wonderful. And, and it does feel wonderful until you drive off that lot. And you realize as soon as you sign that paper and drove that job off the lot that like, it lost 20% in value like that. Now, value can work the other way, too. Sometimes because something doesn't look to be in very good shape, the, the value proposition placed on it will be real low. And if you're able to see the value that other people don't see, but you know how to bring about like a value that they can see, you can get a great deal on something if you can see the value in it before it is restored. Because value is not concrete. And value is not objective for most of us. Value, actually, if you're taking notes today to understand what I'm talking about, value is a determination based on a perception. It's a determination. This is what I have set it at. Based on a perception, how I see. Value isn't what something is actually worth, but what someone believes something to actually be worth. See. Whomever you desire or require their affirmation, what you do to yourself is you subject yourself to their determination, their value proposition, based solely on their perception of you at that moment. The reason some of us will have seasons where we feel very valuable and seasons where we feel very low, seasons where we feel like we are making great strides and contributions and seasons where we don't, is because value is a determination based on a perception, or at least that's the way we interact with it. That is the way we process it. And today, what I would like to do is turn your attention to a striking event in the life of Jesus, where... While maybe on the surface value is not what you see, this whole thing is really a story about who or what is valuable and who or what determines value. It's found in the book of John, chapter 8. And we're going to embark on this in two parts. We're going to read a few verses. I want to draw your attention to a few things, make light of what is there. And then we're going to dive back in and resolve this story. But John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, this is the way it reads. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust, with his finger. On the surface here of what we just read, without any understanding of this biblical account, without any understanding of of Jewish culture in that day and at that time, there are some clear determinations of value made by these Pharisees and religious leaders. They clearly valued men more than women, right? I mean, without trying to be too graphic or gross or really involve you in a conversation that makes this uncomfortable to listen to around your children right now. um, The scripture says that uh, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. If she was caught in the act of adultery, cheating on her husband, uh, what, where is the dude she was cheating on her husband with? Because it didn't just say that they had done some research, it had come to their attention, that six months ago a woman had been, no, 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 they caught her in the act. That's what the Bible said. So where's the guy? There's a clear like value proposition put on, for whatever reason, the man here that they caught as well, is worth more than the woman. Plus, they, they actually didn't have to make a spectacle of this woman, but they did. The law did not require them to publicly humiliate this woman in the process. This was their own determination, but it's interesting. They almost make it seem that humiliating her, bringing her into the temple, bringing her before this crowd that Jesus is teaching and putting her at the feet of Jesus and saying we caught her. And this public humiliation, they make it seem like that is them um, uplifting the law. But yet all they did is not follow through with what the law said. They simply brought her, made a spectacle of her to show that they really valued the law and ultimately asked Jesus his thoughts. And they wanted Jesus' thoughts, and the scripture writer is very clear here because they wanted to get Jesus in trouble. They were trying to trap him. So they made some on the surface value decisions. They were trying to, on the surface, say that they value men more than women. They value the law of God. But you know what they ultimately chose? They chose their agenda the most. What actually mattered the most to them, as seen here on the surface, is, a, is an agenda they had set out with the beginning which then brings this woman into the middle as a prop in their agenda which for her then changes her perceived value of herself because if she had in that moment or at any time tried to get her value from the opinion of people she would realize in that moment something changed Because she had just been in a place, although at a wrong place. She had just been in a spot, although at a wrong spot. Doing something with someone, even though it was wrong, he said that she mattered. And maybe that's why she was there. But in the middle of this thing that is wrong that she is doing, where she is told that she matters, she is taken out, used as a prop, brought before Jesus as this prop to Pease somebody else's agenda. Isn't that the way we can feel sometimes with our value? I felt like I could conquer the world in the morning and I felt like the world was on top of me that night. I felt like they believed in me one day and then they hated me the next. Why is that? Well, it's because of this primary thought I want you to get on today. Because with people, value is subjective. When it comes to people, people that you love, people that say they love you, value is subjective. It goes up and it goes down. It, it can change from one person to the next. You can talk to one person, they can hear you and tell you that was the greatest thing ever, and another person be like, I don't even know why you exist. Now, I don't know about you, but I love a good negotiation. I do. I love um, being able to negotiate house prices. I think I think I think it's a lot of fun. Some people get nervous and no, 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 I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I like it. You used to you can't really even hardly do it anymore. At least the last time I tried to buy a car, uh, they weren't really having it. Can't really negotiate on car prices anymore. But I used to like I like it when you can go places and kinda of barter and be like, Man, you got that for ten. Look, look, what how about we do do two for 14. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like I, I, for whatever reason, I enjoy that. I, I, I enjoy the, even if it happens online, you're selling something online, you start getting in a conversation with somebody and they're like, I'll give you this. Ah, I don't know, i got somebody. Me. Like, I enjoy, I enjoy that. And, and, and maybe I enjoy it because there's this dive into the human uh, thinking that happens anytime you're in a negotiation because you're trying to figure out uh, where value lies with the other person. And where value lies if you're the buyer with the seller? Like what, what's most important? Because some people will sell you something at a, at a price. You're like, oh, I can't believe I got it for that. But maybe because getting rid of the item didn't really matter to them. You figure out where the value lines cross. I remember one time I created a bidding war online over this table that I didn't even want. So a couple of years ago, my wife and I, we, we sold the house we were living in and we bought a, a house that was new to us. It's the house we live in now, but it was a, a house in need of great <laughs> repair. And um, it was a fixer-upper, if you will. And what we found when we got into it is that there was some furniture left in it. In fact, in the in the kitchen space, there was this uh, sort of like a corner, like almost like an L-shaped, but it was like... The same length on each side, bench, so like a little corner bench, and this this table, and it wasn't. I ain't trying to be mean, but it wasn't like nice, you know, like like it clearly looked like somebody had built it by hand, but they had built it by hand, like um like as a DIY eleventh grade build a table project, you know, like it wasn't like fine craftsmanship by any means. Kind of had this country shabby chic it was like baby blue like it just wasn't me it wasn't my wife it was like it, it, we we had nothing to do with it but it was in this house and so the first thing we had to do before we could start doing work or renovation is we had to get all this stuff out that was in there. So we started selling some different things. Hey, anybody want this? Hey, let's sell this. And so I had this table there and I was like, all right, I gotta get rid of this. So at the time I was using Facebook Marketplace to sort of post these things because things would sell really, really well there. So I I took a picture of it and I posted it on and I posted it for a price, but really if somebody just would have said, yo, I could be there in an hour and I'll take it away, done, like just have it. Like I just don't want it here anymore and I ain't got no room in a dumpster. Like I just need this gone. But I'm also the kind of guy that, like, if I'm done using something, they're still good. Like, let's see if I can get a little value out of it. And so uh, I posted it on Facebook Marketplace, and I said, I'm going to sell this table for, uh, I think I posted it, for $75. And it's like, again, it's a bench, it's a table, it's solid, like, it's functional. And then I went on doing whatever I needed to do. Well, the next time I had checked Facebook Marketplace, which was, I think, a couple of hours later, there, there had been two people in particular who were talking to me about this particular piece of furniture. And so I started talking to this girl first because she was the first one in there, and she was asking, you know, she was like, hey, I love this, I wanna get this, and I said bet. And she's like, she's like if you hold it for me, I'll, I'll even pay more. And I, I said, okay, well, I said, I got a couple other messages. but she, And so I'm going through the messages and doing all this. And next thing I know, the girl comes back to me and she's like, listen, I'll pay you $150 for it. I got it on there for $75. And I was like, oh, this is great. And then so I tell this guy who was bidding with it as well. I was like, hey, man, I, I got this girl. She's going to pay $150 for it. I think we're going to go with that. And he's like, I'll pay you $200. And so now I gotta go back to the girl, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, I got, I got a guy. He's gonna pay me two hundred. And she's like, she's like, I'll pay you two seventy-five. <laughs> what is going on? It goes back to what I promise you. I sold this table that I didn't want to ultimately the girl. The girl won. <laughs> she's like, I am driving around the city in a U-Haul right now. I'm picking up, and I will pay you four hundred dollars cash for this table. And when she came to my house and we loaded it up and I'm excited because here's $400 cash and I wasn't expecting it about having it. And, and, and she said, when I saw it, I had to have it. I was like, wow, <laughs> good for me, you know? But isn't that how value works? So, something that literally I was willing to chop up and turn into like uh, wood in the fire pit this girl gets into a bidding war with somebody she don't know and, and comes to my house to pick up this table because of the value she had settled. It's crazy how subjective value can be. But value with people is always subjective. And value, if you're taking notes you can write this down, can change with the season. You find that in your own life, don't you? There are things that you'll value in one season that you won't in another. There are things that are very important to you in high school that are not very important to you once you uh, become 25 years old. There are things that are important to you when you're, when you're single, that uh, aren't necessarily as important to you when you're married, and things that are important to you if you're married that aren't necessarily as important to you when you're single. There, there are things that are significant to you if you have children that don't matter to you if you don't have children. And, and there are things that are uh, a big deal to you in, in your 30s that you don't even care about when you're in your 50s. Like, like, value has a way of changing with the season. People can esteem you in one season, and despise you in another season. Because with people, value is subjective. It can change with the season, and it can even change with the situation. In one setting, this person is vital to you. In another setting, this person doesn't matter so much to you. In in one situation, you would do anything to have this thing. In another situation, you don't really care. About this, With people, value is subjective. And we see this subjectivity of value play out right before us in John chapter 8. Because remember, on the surface, there were some clear determinations of value made by these religious leaders. But below the surface, there's a conflict of values made by these religious leaders. See, if you were to flip back one page to John chapter 7 and read there, what you would find is that they actually took great um, angst with Jesus. There had been this festival going on for many days. And everything had been fine. Jesus had been teaching. They had been teaching. Some stuff had been going on. But on the final, which was the most important and significant day of this festival, Jesus stands up and makes this proclamation to the people there in his teaching that they don't like. And the way John 7 ends is that, is that Jesus leaves but these Pharisees they, 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 they talk among themselves like we gotta figure out how we gonna get this fool. And everybody went their own way. It's almost like John is saying they talked among themselves. Let's see what we can use to frame him and y'all send it in the group text and we'll figure out how we gonna get this fool. They had an agenda. They had a Plan they were trying to carry out. Which is why then they decide we'll try to trip him up on a matter of the law and then they just happen to find this woman caught in the act of adultery and leave the man at the house but bring this woman into the temple in front of the crowd that Jesus is teaching set them down there and say teacher the law of Moses says that we should stone her what do you say? Because they wanted to trap him. This was the next day below the surface. This was the first day after the feast, which culturally in that time, the way Jews made sure that they fully honored these feasts that God had set in the law was they treated the day before a feast would start and the day after a feast would end, as Sabbath days, these were Shabbats. And on a Sabbath, an upstanding, God-fearing Jew did not work. See, what kind of work? I don't know. Work like uh, finding a woman caught in the act of adultery would be considered work. Work would be considered bringing judgments offering a verdict on a case in the matter of the law. That would look like work. Work would be like bringing this woman before a teacher and having the teacher bring judgment to it. All of that is work. And that goes against the law that on the surface they act like they're upholding. Not to mention the law that they say they're referencing tells us in Leviticus chapter 10, or excuse me, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, that, um, that the man and the woman are both culpable. <laughs> that in matters of adultery, the man and the woman are both to be bought, brought to trial. That they are both to be stoned. Their, their explanation of the law is only partial because it did not fit their agenda. To say it another way, they're violating the law in the name of enforcing the law, which means to all of us, we know you've got another agenda. Because the actions that we do expose our agendas. And the agendas that we have, really what they expose is our priorities. And you know this. You don't tell people your priorities. You show them. People that have to run around and tell you their priorities, tell you what really matters to them, you know what's true? Those things don't really matter to them. People that tell you it's a priority to them to work hard, guess what they don't do? (laughs) Work hard. People that tell you it's a priority to them to forgive people, guess what they are? Unforgiving. I promise you. People that tell you they're generous, it's a priority to me to be generous. Let me tell you what's not a priority to them. Actually being generous. Cuz Jesus said people who real generous, they don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. They be they be supporting in secret. They they be giving large in the offering, but they don't need anybody to uh, Paint the building with their name on it or put a plaque out front. it. They just be they just be supporting. They, people, they got to tell you that it's their priority to, to be patient. It's their priority to grow and learn and read. Let me tell you, they don't actually do it. Because actions expose agendas and agendas expose priorities. And if we look on the surface and below the surface, what we see here is a woman brought to Jesus by people who said they cared about the law. But they didn't care about the law. And they didn't care about her. They cared about trying to trap Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? Oh, it's beautiful, verse 7. It says, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, this is Jesus talking. But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then Jesus stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go. And sin no more. Jesus did not condone her sin. But he did confirm her value. He did not act like, oh, they have treated you wrong. I am so sorry for them. And breeze by the atrocity, the gravity of her sin. He didn't do that. He said, you sin, don't don't sin anymore. But along the way, he um, confirmed her value. Because can you imagine how low, how worthless, how disposable you would feel if you'd done something that was clearly wrong with someone, you were caught in the act. But yet, They let him go, and they say, you're coming with us. There's a good chance they drug her through the town practically naked. Maybe they wrapped some blanket over her to appease their own piety, but here she is, knowing what she's done. She's brought into the temple, like right to the front of the church, Where this Jesus, one of these rabbis is teaching and he's got this crowd and they're really leaning in and they throw her at his feet and they communicate what the law says. The law says we should stone her. And she more than likely knew the law, but maybe didn't know the law uh, well enough. Maybe felt so low in that moment she couldn't chirp back with Well, Leviticus 20 verse 10 actually says that, 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 that the guy I was with should be here too. She just felt low as they heap condemnation on her because of what she did. As they bring these accusations to Jesus, he sees her and she, she has to feel worthless. Even if she understands what they're doing, Even if she looks and recognizes what John points out, they are using me to try to trap him. But yet she probably felt like a pawn in their plan. Not a person created in the image of God. Not someone loved by God with purpose and destiny on the inside of them. Someone who was just another pawn in their game. But the one they brought her to for judgment restored her, restored what was taken from her, her value. Where are your accusers? Nobody is condemning you? No, Lord. Neither do I go and sin no more this is a change of value for this woman why because with people value is subjective but write this down with god value is set With people, value can change by the season. With people, value can change by the situation. With people, they'll talk about how much they need you and how much they love you in one season, in one situation, and they won't even return your calls in another. But with God, value is set. Because your value does not come from outside of you. It was set by the one who created. See, I I have a check here. And if I take this check and I write an amount on it that now becomes because I'm the one who can legally endorse this, the value of this check and I write it for a thousand dollars. The value on this is now a thousand dollars to whomever I decide to set that value towards. And so I can write this to whomever I want to. And the value is set. But if I decide to take this check and tell the person I'm going to give it to, hey, this is, this is for $1,000. But um, this check's going to go through some stuff before I give it to you. I say, go through some stuff? What you talking about? Well, it's gonna experience some uh, some pain. There's gonna be some pounding. It's gonna it's gonna be stepped on and kicked and drugged through the drugged through the dirt. And and well, it's gonna have good days and bad days. And I'm uh, wondering if uh, after all this been through, you still want it. The person whose name on this check, the person whose value was separate, would say, absolutely! Get my iron, <laughs> shoe, you know? Anybody got some spray starch anywhere, you know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah. Because the... The bank will still cash a wrinkled check. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like the bank will still do some stuff for a for a check that don't look that right. That don't look that good. And you know, what's crazy is we see money far differently than we see humanity. Because if some cash or a check goes through all this, shoot, we'll take it. Because. Uh, The value we know was set, but when it comes to ourselves, when we're wadded up and kicked and beaten and hurt and abused, we think somehow all that we've been through has caused us to lose our value. That season of life, that the fact that, you know, we're not as innocent, not as smooth, not as perfect as we once appeared to be, that somehow this has altered our value. I need you to hear me today. Your value is set. It's not set by what happens to you. It was set on you by the one who created you. See, you are not worth less because of what you did. Some of us feel that because of mistakes, because of our sin, because of what we've done that maybe deserves us to be brought to the feet of Jesus and have the accuser stone us. We feel like we're not worth anything anymore. Because somebody said we weren't because of what we did. You are not worth less because of what you did. You sinned? Okay. His grace is sufficient for you. Don't go on sinning, but don't think you've got no value. Your value is set. You are not worth less because of what you did, and you are not worth more because of what you do. You understand that our living is in response to his grace, not a requirement to be valuable. Just because you love God, just because you serve him, just because you sing, just because you worship, just because you pray, just because you give, just because you serve, just because you forgive, does not make you more valuable. Your value was set. We do all of that in response to the grace that we've received. But your value is set. You are still worth it. Whatever the value that God put on you. Whatever the value that he set on you. It doesn't matter that they said stuff. It doesn't matter that you did stuff. I know you've got every reason in the world not to believe you're worth what God says you're worth. But your value is set. And whatever you go through, wherever you find yourself, value is still in you because that value can't be taken off of you. I know this reality far too well because I, like probably many, if not all of you listening right now, watching at Church Online, have allowed people's perception of my value to become the worth that I allow to sit on me. We all have this happen to us in life. I've had it happen too. I mean, as an adult, I have basically had no contact or communication with my biological parents since I was 17 years old. And it doesn't matter whether you know your parents, love your parents, think your parents are a little bit Like, there is something inside of every one of us that wants the affirmation, wants the pat on the back, wants the I'm proud of you, wants the presence, the assurance, the, the stable base note that a parent is supposed to be in one's life. And you can tell yourself you don't need it. You can tell yourself you don't want it. But you need it and you want it and you're going to always look for it. And not having any communication, any relationship with them really for the entirety of my adult life has been a value proposition that I have constantly fought. I've had pastors, heroes in my life, people that I loved, people that honestly loved me for a season turn their back on me, not want anything to do with me, (laughs) say terrible things about me even because I didn't um, pick their thing. I've had friends and family who turned their back on me, turned their back on my immediate family. And you know this because it's not like One of those things, it's how they pile up. And you start piling up a few of these things and they can cause you to start questioning everything. They can cause you to question, maybe I'm the problem. (laughs) Maybe they're right. Maybe the value I thought that was set on me wasn't the value that's actually there. Maybe I am worthless. Maybe I am unlovable. Maybe I am not worth the trouble. I understand those feelings. But I've also learned over time that with people, value is subjective. But with God, value is set. And God is the one who restores my value. Not because he brings something back to life but because he brings to my attention what has always been true, to let his words of life and love and confirmation and affirmation and correction be the things that set my value. Which is what this woman, I believe, does. Maybe she doesn't, we don't know. And it's kind of the beauty of the way that John writes this story because he draws us into this high-stakes emotional situation but doesn't resolve it which is a writer's way of almost letting us internalize what's going on here and will we resolve it when we are extended the same grace the same affirmation the same value proposition to us so today I want to close by Inviting and encouraging you to let God restore your value of your value. Would you let God restore your value of your value? Not because your value has changed. Your value was set. But you, because of what you've been through. You, because of what you've done. Don't see the value of your value right now. If that's you, may I encourage you with what Jesus extends and expresses to this woman. To trust his power over their power. To trust the power of God to heal, to restore, to refresh and renew. More than the power of everyone that would say negative things about you. See, they came to have Jesus lead the way in the stoning. And Jesus said, this woman is not for stoning, because the one who the son has set free is free indeed. So if the one who sets your value says you're free, then live free. Trust his power more than the power of the words of those who would subjectively choose to value you or not value you based on the season. Choose his words more than you choose the, the, the power of those who you've given influence to in your life. You've wanted to care about You Choose his power over their power. Trust his direction over their direction. See, I don't know why you need your value restored. But if you're like me and you're like this woman, there's a chance that you were a part of your own downfall. You hurt you as much as they hurt you. And I feel like there's probably a moment with this woman while she is sitting there before this crowd and the accusations are being lobbed about her and out her that she's like, I'm guilty. I deserve this because of what I did. Jesus says something very different than the verdict they tried to heap on her. Jesus says, look, I know what you did. Stop it. Stop it. Some of you, the reason your value is so low is because you won't stop the thing God has been telling you to stop. And you feel like every time you hear a sermon, you feel like every time you're in church, you feel like every time you open your Bible, that for whatever reason, it it feels like you're about to be stoned. It feels like condemnation. And that's not God, but that is him trying to wake you up and say this isn't good for you stop it and receive his word the value is still in you don't go and sin anymore stop living that way stop trusting in that stop acting like that follow his direction over their direction and believe his word over their word believe what god says about you more than what they say like Jesus told her his word. Where are your accusers? They gone. And neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Because friend, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So ultimately today leaves us with this great opportunity but one that we either believe or we reject. One that we either receive or we deny. Because God can restore you. God can restore your value of your value. But at some point, you're going to have to trust his power and follow his direction and believe his word. Because when you do, value that's always been set on you be seen by you again but until you trust and follow and believe the value can be set but you won't see it restored because you don't see it that way so friend today i want to pray for you i want to pray for those of you who are hurting today Those of you who feel like your value has been taken from you, your value has been lost. It's not been lost. Your worth was set. And today God says to you, I'm not the one condemning you. Go and sin no more. And as you go, you're going to find the value that's always been on you restored to you in full. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace that is sufficient for us. Father, I pray for my friends that are hurting today, struggling today, confused today, broken today. Because value, as they see it, because of the way it was communicated by others, has been taken from them. Help them to see, can't nobody take what you have set? That their value is set. Yeah, they've been through some seasons, but their value is set. And Father, I pray that you would restore to them the joy of their salvation. You would restore to them worth. You would restore to them confidence. You would restore to them a confirmation that they are yours, they are loved by you, and that you will use them greatly for your purposes. Father, I pray you do all of this for the honor of your great name as we be people who live with faith that you can do anything. Pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.